Thank you for downloading this episode of Software Gone Wild, a podcast focused on everything software defined. To get more episodes and explore other SDN and network automation resources, visit sdn.ipspace.net. Welcome to another routing episode of Software Gone Wild. It all started in a nice spring afternoon in Zurich when I was walking down the lane with Remy Locher and he said, you know what? One of these days you should do a podcast on open BGPD. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, we were talking about Quagga and FRR and all the other things. So yeah, we can do that. And then of course, Remy had an agenda and he said, well, I know exactly the guy to talk about this and I'll make the intros. So today with us, we have Claudio Yecker and to keep me honest, Nick Buraglio and Elisa Yashinska. So before going into the technical details, Claudio, do introduce yourself, tell everyone what you're doing, how you came to be the BGP guy for OpenBSD and what this whole thing is all about. Yeah. So I'm Claudio Yecker. I'm an OpenBSD developer since 2003. And that's also when the OpenBGPD project actually started. So I got into OpenBSD through OpenBGPD. And my wish to actually write a BGPD meant that was better than the solutions that were there in 2003 in the open source space, which at that time was Zebra, the predecessor of Quagga. And I had many issues with it. And this ended up with me and Henning Brower to actually stick together and say like, okay, we're writing something new. And that's how OpenBGPD started. And since then, I've done a lot of work in OpenBSD and in the BGPD world. I've written other routing protocols like OSPF, LDPD, and also some MPLS work and various other things in the network stack up and down. So this is more or less where I'm home in the OpenBSD world. And then last year, some last year, I actually got the opportunity to actually work full-time on OpenBGPD again, thanks to funding from European Internet Exchange Point and RightMCC and their community project fund. And this is what I'm doing now. Uh, so you answered my second question, which would be, you're probably not doing this as a hobby, right? I did it for a hobby for a long time, but I have to say, so at the beginning, I was working for an ISP and we actually needed a better solution than Zebra. So it became part of my job to work on OpenBGPD at that time. Then later on, I was working for OpenBSD firewall company and working because of that on exactly the same project again. But then later on, my career moved a little bit away. So it became more of a hobby. And after seven years, working for a website, I decided to go back and actually work again on OpenBGPD, especially because Yop Snyders actually came to me and said, like, if I give you the money, would you actually do it? And I was like, yes, I will. And uh, this is where I am now. Ah, so Yop wanted to have a second implementation of RPKI. Yeah, he wanted many things. So first of all, we started because the deployment secure route servers at Internet Exchange Point was for sure one of his big goals and one of the only implementations that were kind of considered for that was BERT. 
and everybody was kind of running Burp, but that's never a good idea to just have everything running on a monoculture. And the BGPD was still around and people were still running with it, but you could not really run a secure setup on it because the filtering processing was not fast enough. So this was the first big project that I was working on summer last year. And we got the speed up on par with like what Bird is doing kind of are now also able to run kind of the same setups. And a lot of internet exchange points are now able to use OpenBGPD as a second implementation next to Bird. Uh, so Job effectively wanted to implement his idea where he takes the information from the routing databases and compiles that into humongous prefix lists and ASPath lists to filter the valid advertisements and sort out all the invalid stuff, whether it is intentional or fat-fingered. Exactly. So this is not only him, this is a lot of people who actually want that. The goal is to reduce leaks of roots, be it evil or just fat-fingering. Both of that happen on a frequent basis and make sure that they're not moved around through internet exchange points. But at least at the route service, it, uh, these leaks should kind of stop. Yeah, and to be perfectly honest, there are a lot of people that want to do it and only a few like Job who actually does something about it. So thank you, Job. Yes. We love you. <laughs> exactly. Now, stepping back a little bit, you said you were working on OpenBSD. So, you know, someone just starting in this uh, space figures out there's OpenBSD and FreeBSD and NetBSD and this BSD and that BSD. So can we start with this mess? What's the difference between them? They're all based on the same BSD from Berkeley, but then long time ago, they started different routes. OpenBSD was forked from NetBSD in 96. I think it was 96. Theodorad was, at that time, very unhappy with the security that people were putting into the system. So he, for him, like the system needs to be secure. It needs to try to do everything to protect the users from being hacked. So all the mitigations, all the ideas that you can do to actually improve security was for a long time and is still one of the main things that OpenBSD is looking at. Whereas NetBSD was the system that tries to run on everything, even your toaster. And FreeBSD is more or less the BSD that tries to be like the enterprise or goes into the enterprise market. Like they try to be very much the Linux of the BSD. So for OpenBSD, our goal is to have a secure system. It is actually coming, unlike in Linux, everything is coming from the same vendor in a way. So all the, the base system has everything included. So you get a BGP client or a BGP daemon. With your OpenBSD install, you also get an OSPF even with it. You have all the other tools that you normally need on a Unix server. There by default, you get uh, a compiler installed by default. You get, so you have a lot of things that all come out of the same group. And this has, in my opinion, large benefits that it makes it possible to build very nice, very thought through kind of implementation that fit together. Like you don't have to really think. Can I run this kernel with that user land or anything like this? I think that's the big strength of the DSTs. But I guess that someone like Red Hat would be making the same argument for their packaging of Linux and everything around it, wouldn't they? 
probably. <laughs> but in the end, when you look at what Red Hat is doing, is they're just packaging various tools and okay, they also write and implement a lot of it. So they're they're the maintainers of glibc, which has its own issues because of that. They do other things like they introduce what a lot of people hate, which is systemd and things like that. So they're having their own agenda, but they don't really control the kernel. So if the kernel actually, if, if uh, Linux kernel is deciding to add something to the kernel or not adding it to the kernel, uh, the only way they can do something about it is actually by patching it by themselves. And I think that makes it always a little bit complicated because you get like, these kernels or you get your Linux setup and you kind of need to figure out what actually is in, is in it in the end. So coming back to OpenBGPD now that we understand the background a little bit, mm-hmm. you already mentioned that the exchange points might want to use it as a route server to complement Bird, for example. Is there any other reason why someone would want to run a BGP daemon on a host and where OpenBGPD would be a good fit? Generally, OpenBSD is used by a lot of people on... Like if you need a firewall, a secure firewall, if you need like a layer seven proxy or whatever, like it's used a lot in the security business. And so it is good to have tools and protocols to port so that you can also implement it with like all the other stuff around it. So BGP is now used in various places to announce, as an example, in the cloud, they're using BGP to announce the public IPs. It's one of the ways, or you're actually having it in your enterprise or at an ISP that you have certain clients where you actually want to have on the server a BGP running or on your firewall having a BGP running so that you can adjust the routing dynamically. And I think that is a big strength of BSD because it's putting everything together. So understanding now that we might need BGP in internet exchanges and security products. And of course, if someone wants to run a router based on BSD or Linux box, what features do you need in such a daemon? Because probably you don't have all the bells and whistles that something like Junos or Cisco iOS has. So what's crucial for the deployments that you are seeing? The interesting thing is that I think the strength of the software routers is that they can normally adapt much better to the changes in the network or like the protocols that happening than normally the hardware, like introductions of new protocol like uh, the XLAN and similar things or MTLS. It makes it much easier to actually write them first in software and then the hardware vendors will slowly build up their ASICs to actually do more of the stuff more faster. But doing it in software is normally quite easy and simple to write. So that, I think, is one of the strengths that we have. What we need is, depending a little bit on your use case, normally what you need is you need to be able to write the FIP. So the FIP goes into the kernel. You need to have an interface to do that. This is fairly OS-specific, and that makes the porting or making a portable version a little bit harder because on Linux, you need to do it differently than on, on, on OpenBSD or even on FreeBSD. It's a little bit different to what OpenBSD is doing. But apart from that, implementing the protocol itself is normally not very dependent on what kind of box you're running it. So you could implement all the BGP bells and whistles 
that also like the, the big vendors would actually have. So EDPM support, you can BGP MPLS, VPN support, you can add all these extensions to the B2P protocol, which there is many. Yeah, but in principle, obviously you can do that because the code is open source. But has it been done? Is anyone actually doing something along the lines of, let's say, EVPN for VXLAN? In OpenBGPD itself, we currently don't have EVPN support. We do have MPLS, uh, the BGP MPLS layer 3 EVPN support for IPD4 and IPD6, but we don't have EVPN support yet. So there, the problem is actually that neither the protocol side on the open BGPD part for doing the protocol is actually not too hard. The kernel side, we have the LAN support, but the problem is we don't really have a good way of hooking those things together and actually make it one thing that actually works then very nicely. And this is normally where, like, these interfacing is normally where a lot of work actually needs to happen. And that needs a little bit of engineering and architecture to actually make it very nice and easy to use and operate. So I'm guessing that in this particular case, it might be the problem of installing the Mac entries you receive from BGP into the Mac forwarding table. Exactly. Ah, okay. It was a shot in the <laughs> exactly wild. That. Yeah, I don't know, but this is actually the issue. It's like the, for VXLAN, you're kind of turning off all the discovery that normally happens on a switch or a bridge, and you want to feed that information from BGP. And we currently don't really have a good way of doing that. This is something that needs a little bit of discussing and architecting and then implementing. Now, assuming I'm really interested in this and want to, you know, kick the tires, how hard is it to get started? I think it's like almost any other open source that you can find. It The entry point is, oh, okay, you need to first get the source and you need to get familiar with the source code. But I think apart from that, it's more, I, at least for me, and this is, this is now my own bias, is like, it's normally quite easy to look at it and understand it. but I have to say that BGP is not the easiest protocol anymore because there is so many extensions to it, and that makes the code sometimes a little bit hard to read. But that only applies if you are trying to modify the code, right? Yes. So basically, you know, given that the this piece of software seems to have had a lot of its origin and form by running an exchange space, that sort of makes me feel like you know there's a lot of service provider mentality behind the thought processes behind it. And given that it's, you know, a software-based stack, and like you mentioned before, it's easier to sort of expand and extend because you're not having to deal with hardware limitations, what's the likelihood that you'll add extensions such as like BGPSR and BGPLS and things that are sort of moving more into the internet provider space from a protocol perspective? From my point, there is, Normally, always the question of who needs it and what is required to actually make it happen. In general, we support other people. Like if, if somebody sends in this, normally we, we for sure look at them and would also like help them to clean them up so that we can actually commit them. For me, myself, at the moment, my focus is still a little bit more on this very much uh, default-free zone kind of brooding. So everything that you need there and not very much some of the features that, as you mentioned, like go more into, I would say, a product that we currently don't really have in OpenBSD itself. And I think that 
more or less defined when we add something and, and when not. I added a lot of the RFDs that are kind of working around this default-free zone to make it actually better there. I also try to add stuff where I got myself my interest in. So I did the, the BGP MPLS work some time ago when I was working for this firewall company because they wanted to do a product with MPLS and firewalling. And so this was an important thing to do. But in general, it's like, if there is enough interest, then it will automatically happen and it will actually show up. So it's just normally a question of time. So that makes sense. So it sounds like you're focused right now more on scale rather than feature sets. That makes a lot of sense in the exchange point space. You know, you have to be able to scale up. Yeah, at the moment, this is my primary focus. We're talking here about internet exchange points that have thousands of peers. And because of that, you need to be able to to scale the software to use as much of the resources of actually modern machines as possible. So this is one thing where I'm currently trying to get my hands in is, is how do you actually parallelize decision process in BGP? Because that's the only way we can actually make the decision process run faster. This is, this is one of the important things that normally the internet exchange points want. They want to have the root service to actually react to changes in the infrastructure. So if, if a neighbor goes down, it doesn't make sense to have to wait for five minutes or, or whatever to actually until, until you get like the, the update out or the withdrawals out. And this is one of the important points of my work at the moment. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I have a fair amount of experience with BSD, having been a BSD, strong BSD proponent since the mid 90s. One of the things that I noticed, and I used to use OpenBSD pretty heavily. One of the things I noticed, like you said, is that it's got a fair amount of, I mean, it's basically the security focused BSD, like you said. And one of the artifacts of that is that it takes significantly longer for features to make it into the distribution, you know, supported in the distribution. And I'm wondering how that affects the development of OpenBGPD specifically on that platform. Is that still one of the key tenets of how you're dealing with the scale is also, uh, you know, validating and, and ensuring that it maintains the high security requirements of OpenBSD? It is a bit complicated. So the interesting thing is that I think because it's part of the base system and we have a lot of people also from the developer side who are using OpenBGPD in production, be it because they're ISPs or because of other reasons, like they're running an internet exchange, it is for them important to have certain features and that makes it a lot easier to get these things going. The normal issue is actually because everything is volunteer work is to get the reviews happening. So this is, this is, I think, what a lot of the open source are uh, kind of struggling a little bit with, but maybe even everybody's struggling with. If you actually want to have a review process where somebody else is actually looking at the, at the code changes that you're doing and everybody is busy, then it can actually take time to actually get some of these changes in, especially if they're big. This is, I think, one of the things that slows us a little bit down. Apart from that, I would say, like, if we're actually thinking it's like, if it's important for us or if it's important for the group, if it's important for some of the developers of the group, then normally implementations actually happen quite quickly because 
you have somebody who is actually having a, uh, an itch to scratch and he will push for it. And I think that's sometimes the good thing. It's like, I remember we were very early on when it came to like supporting for by the S numbers. And we had other things where we are trying to go and say like, okay, this is a draft that actually makes sense. Let's try to push it and implement the feature as, as fast as possible so that the, these drafts sometimes can even become RFCs because there is enough implementations out there so that people can actually use them. Hey guys, this is so fascinating. I'm just listening and listening and I can't get my questions out here in between. This is awesome how far this has come. I have no idea if Claudio remembers we had some dealings in the past. Oh, yes, we did. Exactly. I didn't really, I couldn't really find the right moment to chime in here because it's been a long, long time now back in. Oh God, I don't even know. It has to be something like 2006, 2007. Literally like 10 years ago <laughs> when Amzix was trying to find a second route server. And this is the whole internet exchange motivation that you guys have been talking about so far, right? So that makes perfect sense. They were looking for, I, I don't even remember what the first one was they were using at that time, because I think Bird did not even exist yet. Or maybe Bird was just coming out around that time. So me working at Amzix at that point, we were looking at using OpenBGPD as like the second alternative to kind of be vendor redundant and, you know, have two different, have two different, different open source implementations running the route servers. But back then, OpenBGPD would, did not support the multiple rib thing that was needed for like the internet exchange operation stuff. So we actually contacted Claudio back then and he implemented that for us. And I'm really happy to hear that that's still going strong here the same way it was back then. So basically people need features, features get added and stuff is still good in like the internet exchange community there. So that's awesome. I know personally of, a, of at least a handful of reasonably sized service providers that use OpenBSD and, and OpenBGPD as their primary BGP speakers to the world. So, I mean, it's definitely come very far since I first saw it as well. My downer definitely back then, because I was not a BSD person at all. My downer was definitely having to get familiar with OpenBSD and have to use that to run OpenBGPD. But I guess it's, yeah, like any other system, right? Yeah, it's also that since May, so a few months ago, the portable project is back on, on track again. And uh, there is now OpenBGPD portable version that actually runs on Linux, at least for boot servers. So oh. the issue that it still has, it doesn't talk to the FIP on Linux, so I haven't implemented the netlink. I think in the next coming releases of the portable version, this will get better. That's a really good idea, because if it's someone using its strictly for route servers who doesn't necessarily need, like, who don't want to say need, but who is not necessarily interested in, like, the high secure environment per se, it could definitely lower the border of, like, hey, I can just install this on my Linux and try it out and see how it works. And I don't have to set up, like, an entire system to just give it a try. Mm. On the other hand, it's always good to actually have multiple systems as well, because then uh, you're also not like if there is a, a Linux kernel bug or something like that, then you're also kind of having two different implementations. I agree that for a lot of operators, it's actually better to maybe have everything on the same base system so that they, they are at least familiar with that. 
And now I want to go into one of the, you know, cans of worms that Elisa opened. Elisa, you mentioned something called multi-rib, and I have a pretty good idea what you're talking about, but many people listening to this probably don't. So which one of you wants to explain what this is? Should I go? Okay. The issue with root servers at Internet Exchange Point is that they're kind of aggregating the routing table. So if you have multiple neighbors announcing the same prefix, then only one of them is going to be the valid one that's actually sent to all the other neighbors on that peering lab. Claudia, before you go down into details, just for everyone to understand what we are talking about. So the idea is that instead of having everyone on the exchange point peering with everyone else and creating a full mesh of a gazillion of BGP sessions, Everyone is peering with the BGP server and the BGP server is calculating the best paths and sending that to everyone. And there could be like a thousand independent operators involved in this scheme, right? The route server, yeah. Yeah, that's the route server. In a way, it's very similar to what uh, you would have internally as a route reflector. So it's a hub and spoke kind of setup with the route server in the center and everybody's talking to it because if you think of a, an exchange like this, BE6 or M6 with over 600 participants, you cannot do a full mesh there. Like maintaining that would keep like one of your admins busy day and night because there is just constantly people joining and leaving and it's just not maintainable. So route and server is route reflector for eBGP. Exactly. I would say that is the way you can actually describe that very easily, yeah. Okay, now back to multi-rip. Sorry for the interruption. Yes. So the multi-rip thing is that instead of having a single rip, so the root information base or the routing table that you're calculating in BGP, you have multiple ones. You actually have one per tier so that every tier gets is for some reason, stuff gets filtered out before getting sent to that peer, a alternate path is still being able to be sent to these peers. And that is to protect from something that people would call path hiding, where you actually would not get a path that would actually be the around, but it is being hidden by something that got filtered out. Ah, So instead of having one BGP table and selecting the best paths, in one BGP table and sending everyone just the best paths, you effectively have a BGP table sort of per neighbor. Yes. So there is multiple ways of doing it. And this is one way of handling this. So the other way would be that you actually change the root decision process. So when you're calculating which is the best path selection, so that you always select the best path, even though the first one is being filtered out, then you would go kind of is like, okay, then let's have the best one and still would announce that one. And this is not what the protocol itself is actually the idea of the BGP protocol. But in this particular setup of a boot server, it makes sense to actually give people a alternative path. So hypothetically, you would sort the paths for a specific prefix in order of preference and then announce to everyone the first path that is not filtered out for this peer. Exactly. And this is what you can do by having this multi-rip setup because 
the idea is that you filter between the ribs and in the case of the neighbor, like the filtering always considers all the passes. And so in the end, you end up with all the passes in the neighbor rib in this particular rib for this neighbor. And he is then able to see the second best path because the first one was filtered out before actually hitting that table. And you can still run the same decision process as normally on each of these individual tables, uh, these individual ribs. And I'm guessing that there is the stupid implementation where you actually create copies of the full BGP table and smart implementations where you just swap pointers to stuff. And that gets probably interestingly complex. <laughs> yeah, the risk code is for sure the one that has the biggest potential of being fast and memory efficient or being not so fast or being not so memory efficient. And you always need to kind of find a way of what makes sense. How far do you go? Like, am I wasting more memory to be faster or am I trying to be efficient, but it may take a bit longer? And so, so it's an interesting optimization problem. I do vaguely remember doing some testing for like the AMSIX use case with it, with like yeah. the pieces they had on the route server at that time. And I don't think it was all that bad. I mean, it took a while there to like recalculate everything when the session stood up, but it was managing. I'm not sure if they even still have those route servers. I'm trying to Google stuff here in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they updated. As far as I know, AMSIX is currently running bird only. They have two route servers with bird on them. At least that's the last that I know from them directly. For the performance, so there is a few things that is important. Like one of the big performance choke points at the moment is also kind of the filtering. So when you do a lot of filtering this time, and, and this was one of the issues that we had at the beginning, is that uh, the way the filters were implemented in OpenBGPD was very simple. It was kind of a linear list and you just go rule by rule by rule by rule. And if you then actually looked at the filter rules that are that have been generated by some of these tools, you ended up with like 300,000 rules that you kind of go through literally. And we fixed that by implementing like a lot of table lookups and trying to reduce the rule sets. And now the tools that are actually making or building these sets are normally able to do the same work that they did before with like 300,000 rules in something like 6,000 rules. And that then suddenly becomes a lot easier to actually handle. The other issue is that the output filtering is actually one of the biggest pain points for me at the moment, because that is where a lot of the updates go through. So if you consider this hot and spoke kind of setup, when you send one single update to the route server, he needs to send that update to all other neighbors. So when you have a thousand neighbors, you send one update in and it needs to send it to a thousand peers. So the output filtering is run a thousand times more often than the input filtering. This is the thing that make these route servers set up very interesting and a nice challenge to actually make them really fast. So let me guess, there is only one person in the world that understands how the code works, right? <laughs> no, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a few people who will probably understand it, but it will get more complicated, I guess. One of the issues that all the BGP implementations that I know have is that they're kind of inherently single process. 
So they're running on a single core on a server machine. And because of that, they, they're maxing out on that single core. Like they chew up all the CPU time, but they cannot really use any of the other CPUs. This is one of the things that I'm now trying to look at how we actually can make use of the multiple CPUs that now every server that, that, that is sold on the market has. Was somewhat multi-threaded though. Wasn't like every rip calculation in a different thread or something like that. Uh, which one was that? The multi-rip thing wasn't that somewhat multi-threaded. No, no, no. In OpenPGPD, the thing that we did is we have multiple processes. So we have a process that is responsible for calculating the routing table to the fit. This is the parent process, and then we have two other processes. We have the session handling in one process and we have the RDE in the other process where all the RIDs are. And because of that, we have the benefit of having the session handling already out, uh, outside, but we don't have the risk calculations and deep things. They're all kind of streamlined in a single thread. And that is now the next step of finding a way to allow it to actually scale to multiple threads or multiple processes, whatever in the end we're going to do. I think there is a little bit of discussion of how crazy we want to go because multi-threading is hard. It's always a little bit of a question of how much do you want to write with locking and how much do you want to write with uh, having multiple processes and because of that kind of isolation from each other. So speaking about performance, do you have any vague performance data on how fast this thing is? Yeah, it's always hard to say. Like I know it's normally fast enough, that's what I tell everybody. So we're running it on like smaller IS internet exchange points with maybe like a hundred sessions and stuff like that. And there, the initial convergence time is normally in the range of a couple of minutes, maybe. Like if you cold start the system and you just like dump everything into it, it takes about 90 seconds to two minutes to actually kind of have everything processed and stabilized. But if you then start scaling up, this is very seldomly actually a linear scaling. It's actually very often somewhat like in an order of a power of two or something else that, that, that goes up. So it slows down. And my testing, I did some testing. It shows that like the system itself can handle quite a lot of sessions, but then it's the processing of all the data is where now actually the slowdown happens. So if you have something like 600, 600 sessions and in total you're sending in over 160,000 prefixes into the root server, it takes somewhere around 15 to 20 minutes to actually finish the distribution of all these prefixes to all the, the 600 peers. This is more or less what uh, I think everybody has. The more peer you have, the more complicated it gets. I just found a presentation from 2010 that we put together after testing yeah. OpenVGPD for Nanoc. And wait, so what we, did we do there? 100 sessions with about 1,000 prefixes each per session and then on whatever the current hardware was 10 years ago. And then just kind of monitored how much CPU and memory it was using at that time and it did a little bit like within the first seconds it kind of spikes up and needs a little bit more crunching time there and then it kind of stabilizes out over time but this is 10 years old so it probably is not <laughs> very valid anymore but. don't worry the internet table size is catching up with the moore law 
<laughs> right. Yeah, that is true. I remember when we started with OpenBGP, the routing table size was just getting to 128,000 routes IPv4. And that was the first time when people actually started to realize that their TCAMs were not big enough. That was fun times. <laughs> and now we're quite a bit bigger. Okay. So it looks like we got to approximately the end of at least the IXP conversation. So if anyone wants to know more, Claudia, where can they find you? How can they get in touch with you? The easiest way is to email me at uh, claudio at openbsd.org. There is also the OpenBSD and OpenBGPD mailing lists that are a good place to get in contact with people who are interested in OpenBGPD or OpenBSD. I think that's the best way. Any personal blog, Twitter account, you know, the usual. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on LinkedIn. So I'm not very social in this regard. It's not changed his email address in 10 years. Yeah, exactly. My email address is still the same. So <laughs> I write code. I don't write a personal blog. I never really get to it. Yeah, and we definitely appreciate you writing great code. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Really, really glad to hear that this is picking up and getting traction again. This is great. Good news. Okay. And the three slackers, where are we present? Let's start with Elisa. Where can we find you? I don't have anything either. <laughs> ah, so you're not a slacker. You also write code. <laughs> what about you, Nick? Oh, I'm all over the place. I don't write good code. So... You know, Twitter and LinkedIn and a blog, boardingplane.net. Basically, if you just search for me, you'll find me. My name's fairly uncommon, so if you look hard enough, you'll find me. That's true. And your granny still can't pronounce it, right? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, obviously, based on how present I am on whatever social stuff, you shouldn't let me near the keyboard. And you can find me on ipspace.net or on Twitter. And no, don't try LinkedIn. Thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you, Claudio. Thank you, Nick and Elisa, for all the great questions. And eventually, we'll be back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Software Gone Wild. If you want to learn more about software-defined networking, network automation, and related topics, visit sdn.ipspace.net and explore our courses, books, webinars, and podcasts.